Morning Liberty. Well, hello there, everybody. My name is Nate, and this is the Good Morning Liberty podcast. Thank you guys so much for being here today. If this is your first time listening, please hit that subscribe button, leave us a rating and review, and for all you other guys who are listening every single day, just go ahead and take a second and leave us a rating and review. What, what that does is when someone searches one of these topics, just say on iTunes or whatever the app is that you use, when someone searches libertarian or they search I don't know, news, economics, politics. The, the more ratings and reviews you have, the more likely you are to show up higher in people's search results. So while a lot of you guys are listening, it'd be so great if everyone left a rating and review. We would really appreciate that. So today I want to talk about a few different news stories. I'll be landing on this news story about the people who are leaving California after they raise their taxes. But before that, I want to run through a few other news stories real quick. So this is from Business Insider. It says, The staggering cost of Elizabeth Warren's plans, $4.2 trillion per year. Yeah, so they, they went through her plans and they totaled up everything that she's saying they're going to provide to you, that the government's going to provide to you if she is elected president. And now we should actually take these things seriously because she's polling ahead of Joe Biden now in a lot of states. There is a decent chance that if someone else doesn't jump in the race, that Elizabeth Warren could end up being the nominee. And that would not be a good thing for anyone. That's why we have a website called LizLies.com. So if you guys want to read some articles on there, that would be great. That's a good, that's a good website to go to. So she's actually got a shot at being the nominee. And with everything that's going on, everything that's going on with Trump and the impeachment, all this stuff which I know we don't cover much on this podcast because I just want to wait until all of the information's in. I don't want to get on here and just speculate about the impeachment every single day. Like I said earlier in the week, Trump's probably going to be impeached by the House. He's not going to be impeached by the Senate, and that's going to be that. He'll be impeached, he won't be removed, and it won't mean anything. It'll probably just drum up the support, uh, his support among his base and other Republicans, honestly. The impeachment thing which I think is why so many Democrats were trying to hold off on it. The impeachment thing is going to be one of the biggest rallying cries for people to vote against the Democrat Party that there's been in a long time, because look at what they're trying to do. And now I'm not saying Trump's innocent on any of this stuff. I really don't know. He probably isn't. But the fact of the matter is they've been trying, they've been talking about impeaching him from the day he got elected. So now people are just seeing this as it's just another witch hunt. It's just another witch hunt, just like the Russia thing. And they don't really care about what information comes out. Even if it does come out that he was given some kind of, a, you know, he was, he was asking him to investigate Joe Biden and withholding the foreign aid. Most people are just going to say, well, good. He should use that foreign aid and, and try to get down to the bottom of some of the corruption. What's wrong with that? So I think at the end of the day, a lot of people just aren't going to care. The Democrats are going to care, which they weren't going to vote for Trump anyway. Most of the Republicans aren't going to care, and most of them are going to vote for Trump anyway. So at the end of the day, this is really just a bunch of things that can dominate the news cycle that's just going to get both major sides of the political aisles. It's just going to get both of them worked up, something for them to both be upset about every single day. And I don't think it's going to have a lot of bearing on the election. If for some reason Elizabeth Warren does get elected, 
We have to pay attention to what some of these policies are because they would be detrimental to the stock market, to our overall budget as a country. There would have to be trillions more dollars per year in debt taken out or trillions more dollars in taxes every single year, which would be equally as bad. So the uh, her actual plan, now they went through it and they've totaled up everything that she's projecting. <clears throat> and that's hitting about $4.2 trillion per year, more than what we're currently spending. So keep that in mind. We're already spending about $4.4 trillion, something like that. And uh, we take in, I don't know, $3.5 trillion. Our, our deficit's running right around the trillion dollars. We're taking in, yeah, about a trillion less than what we're actually spending. And she would add on $4.2 trillion more dollars in new spending. That would be really bad. That would mean that the tax receipts, the total amount of taxes that the government has to take in every year, the total tax receipts would have to go up by 124%, more than double the amount of taxes that we're taking in right now. Now, here at this show, we know that taxation is theft, and we talk about that all the time. That's your money. No one else has the right to just take it from you. You spent your time getting that money. You've only got a fixed amount of time on earth, and you traded that time for that money, for value that you could produce for someone. How is someone just going to come along and take it from you? It's not okay for me to go up to you and take your money. It's not okay if me and my group of friends run up to you. It's not okay for us to take your money. But apparently, if me and my group of friends, we elect the right people, or we get enough people to decide we want to take your money, then all of a sudden it becomes moral and justified and virtuous, right? No. No, it doesn't. It's, it's still theft. It's still theft, just like any other theft. You know how it's theft? Because I don't want you to take it. Are you still going to take it from me? Yes. Okay, theft. So, anyway, they would have to, they would have to raise taxes, their tax receipts, by 124%. Now, a lot of people on that side of the aisle, a lot of people on the left, liberals, democratic socialists, socialists, whatever, they seem to want to talk about how the wealthy are going to pay for all of this, right? It's all, it's all going to come from them. The fact of the matter is, there's not enough money to pay for these things. It doesn't matter how much you like all of these policies. And, and you can say this to people when you're talking to them on, online or you're talking to your family at Thanksgiving coming up. Like, hey, those are all great. Sure, hey, you know, let them have that. But yeah, that's all great. We should strive towards doing that. That would be great. There simply isn't enough money to pay for it. It doesn't matter what your emotions are on the subject. We're not in emotionomics here. We're in economics. And there just simply isn't enough money. If you were to take all of the money that the 1% make, that would be about $1.6 trillion, All of their money. You confiscate all of it. It would be about $1.6 trillion every single year. She's got $4.2 trillion in new federal expenditures every single year. So who's going to pay for the rest of that? That's Everyone else is. And not to mention, when you think about raising the bill, well, just raise the corporate tax way up. Well, corporations don't pay taxes. They're not just going to run in the negative every year because their taxes went up. They'll just raise the prices of everything. The taxes are just another cost when you're running a business. You got your material costs, and you got your advertising expenses, and you got to pay for your building, 
You got to pay for whatever, transportation, delivery, whatever it is you're doing, and you got to pay for taxes. And all of that is worked into the price of the goods that you're selling every day. So when the taxes go up, it's just a raise in the expenditures, and you're, you're just going to raise the price of your goods. The corporations never pay taxes. The consumers pay taxes when they buy things from corporations. There's kind of this misrepresented, this fallacy here that somehow if you raise corporate taxes, the corporations will pay more taxes. No, they're just going to take it from their consumers. So this really, you know, it's just a, this is dead on arrival. The money doesn't exist to pay for this. They will have to borrow money to pay for these things. They will have to keep borrowing and keep borrowing. And the problem is eventually, just with the interest on the debt, I mean, the interest on the debt by 2025 is going to be more than the amount of money that we spend on our military right now. And then it's going to keep ballooning from that point. And we'll have to keep borrowing more money just to pay our interest payments. It's, it's, it's running off a cliff really quickly, guys. And this electing someone in the office, I'm not saying that Trump is just automatically perfect or that, that, you know, we're obviously running massive deficits right now too. But someone like Warren getting in there and adding $4.2 trillion in more expenditures, added expenditures from the federal government, that's not going to last long. The whole thing's going to collapse really quickly. So this is from Yahoo News. This was a good example. If you listened to the episode yesterday, then you'll you'll understand what I'm talking about here. If you if you didn't listen, go back and listen uh, to yesterday's episode. At the end of that episode, I talked about how easy it is to manipulate statistics to get them to say whatever you want. And I saw a really good example of that. And I saw this article in Yahoo News, and it says a key benefit of Obamacare is stalling, and here's why. So in this article, they go into talking about the. The best thing about Obamacare was that it decreased the amount of people who were uninsured. You know, it made sure that people could get some kind of an insurance. If they couldn't afford it, then they got subsidized plans, that there was Medicaid expansion, all these things. There was also another really important part of that, which was the individual mandate, the fact that it was illegal to not buy insurance. So yes, the number of uninsured dropped dramatically when they made it illegal to be uninsured. That did, in fact, happen when you were going to have to pay a big fee, a big penalty on your taxes at the end of the year. A lot of people said, well, I might as well have insurance if I'm going to have to pay that money anyway. So this article goes into detail talking about how the amount of people that are uninsured is increasing. It's projected to go uh, up to 30 million and then up to 35 million in the next several years. But then they don't really talk about the rate of people that are uninsured. This is one of those ways that you can manipulate data. And by not talking about the rate, let, let me let me give you an example. So we did an episode talking about the people that are in poverty in the US. And we talked about the war on poverty in the US and how many millions of how many trillions of dollars have been spent fighting poverty. Well, since the war on poverty started in 1964, the rate, uh, the poverty rate was 17.3%, 17.5% in 1964. And right now it's 
So if you're looking at the percentage points, well, you can say, well, look, it's decreased by almost five percentage points in that time. And you can use that data to make the case, if you want to, that the war on poverty has been a success because, look, the overall rate declined. What you could also do if you wanted to is you could say, well, in 1964, we had 25 million people that were in poverty. And now in, in 2019, we've got 42 million people that are in poverty. And you can make the case that the war on poverty is a failure and there's more and more people in poverty every year. So which one is it? Both of those things are true. That's the problem. You can portray it in whatever way you want to. See, I can say, well, the amount of people in poverty has increased since we started the war on poverty. But then someone else could say, well, the poverty rate itself has decreased since we started the war on poverty. So this is an issue we get into when we're talking about people who are uninsured. Because all this article says is that the amount of people who are uninsured is increasing. The problem with that is that you could keep the same uninsured rate. It's about 10.5% of the country is uninsured. You could keep the same, un I'm sorry, it's, a, it's 12 something. I don't want to get the, the numbers wrong. You could keep the same uninsured rate and the population could increase by 10 million people over 10 years. And at the end of that, you could say, well, there's more people who are uninsured. Even if you kept the same percentage of the population that were uninsured. So it really just depends on how you want to portray that data. Now, another thing they didn't go into much detail in in this article, obviously this article is written to talk to you about how the amount of people who are uninsured is increasing, and we have ruined Obamacare, and people are losing their insurance, and we really needed all these provisions of the law to stay intact. Well, one of the major things that they don't talk about was that individual mandate. The individual mandate made about 10 million people buy insurance that weren't going to buy insurance. And they made it illegal for you to not buy insurance. So those people decided they were going to buy it. Well, in, uh, it was in 2017, Trump issued an executive order removing the individual mandate from Obamacare. It's no longer illegal to be uninsured. And so now a lot of those same people who were making the decision to not pay any money for insurance have decided to not have any insurance again. So there's a difference in people being uninsured because of external factors that are out of their control or not having access to the market or whatever way you want to paint the picture. There's a difference in that and people who are just choosing that they don't want to put the money towards insurance. Those are, those are two different things. Wouldn't you agree? There's a lot of ways to manipulate this data. One other thing in this article, they only said, they said one line, then they didn't go into any more detail on it. It's going to be increasing. It's been increasing, the amount of people uninsured. And one of the factors is the amount of non-citizens there are in the United States. Yes, this article, while not going into much detail in it, we're counting in our uninsured number are uninsured with Obamacare and all the great federal programs and state programs that we have. In our uninsured number, we're counting people who are illegal immigrants. 
Now, I'm not making any statements on immigration really right now because I'm a libertarian, so I've got some pretty different views on citizenship and illegal immigrants. Every immigrant, every immigrant is a net benefit to society as long as there is not a welfare state. If there's a welfare state, then it is potential that the more immigrants you have, the more of a drain on society you could have. If there is no welfare state, if everyone had to pay for their own expenses and not be able to live off of other people, then you would never want to have any problem with people coming into the country because they would have to be a benefit to your society. They can't be a draw. They would only be able to be a benefit. So I don't really want to make too many statements on citizenship because that's not the point here. But in this article, when talking about the amount of people that are uninsured in the U.S., they're talking about people who aren't even U.S. citizens. So there's just another little thing they're slipping in. And one thing I always, you know, I get the open borders thing and citizenship, you know, just maybe it shouldn't matter sometimes. Well, where do you draw that line? Okay, so we're saying the amount of non-citizens in the U.S. that don't have insurance. Why are we only counting people that are within this border? Why don't we count all the people in other countries that the U.S. isn't covering for insurance? Why aren't we just having a news story about how Canada is failing to cover about 330 million people south of their border? You know, I mean, there are border lines here, and there are citizenships of countries. And so it's kind of weird to, if you have a massive influx of, just say, illegal immigration into your country, that those people would be added into the statistics for people who can't get insurance. That's, that's really only something you would do if you were trying to make a point. One thing we could do as a solution on this is we've got to allow people to buy catastrophic insurance plans. These insurance plans now were like, if I get insurance, I've got to have like pregnancy coverage. You know, I've got to have, I've got to have all kinds of things. Uh, you're a, a 55 year old woman has got to have coverage for, for pregnancy and for having a baby. Literally things that are, that are just not possible. They've added all these things into the law and they've taken away your right to buy a cheap stripped down insurance plan that just covers some kind of catastrophic event. You know, you get hit by a drunk driver, you you fall in a well, you know, you, uh, you, you break something, suddenly you have some kind of major disease pop up real quick when you were otherwise healthy. You could be paying for these cheaper, catastrophic-only plans, and a lot of people would choose to do that. Instead, they took away those plans. They made it illegal for insurance companies to offer those. And then they wonder why young people, like myself, I guess I'm not, I'm not super young anymore, my 30s, right? I guess, yeah. Um, they wonder why people like myself will sometimes choose to not have insurance. You know, it's they're not offering plans that people who are young and healthy would ever want to pay for. So anyway, that's my thoughts on the insurance thing. Another thing from Business Insider, I don't know if any of you guys like Taylor Swift or not. I don't mind her music, really. I, I guess her older music, I don't know. So this is uh, Taylor Swift's first album came out 13 years ago today. From bi-coastal mansions to lavish vacations, see how the superstar spends her $360 million plus fortune. So Taylor Swift is worth a lot of money. And that's good. I don't have anything against people being worth a lot of money. She was the highest paid entertainer last year. 
Taylor Swift made a little over $180 million in 2018. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. So I don't really have a problem with people making this money. I I don't have any problem with them making the money. What I don't like, and you see this a lot with entertainers, actors, and artists of any kind, is they make all this ridiculous money, and then they go out preaching about the evil wealthy people and about the evils of corporations that are not paying their workers enough. Taylor Swift was so we're in Nashville, Tennessee here, and she was in Nashville doing a show, or she was in Tennessee doing the show before the uh, 2018 election, and she was pushing everyone to vote Democrat. She was trying to get everyone to vote Democrat. I think it was uh, Phil Bredesen, I think, is who she was trying to get people to vote for. So she was trying to push everyone to to, to vote Democrat while, while also being in a position where she's making $185 million in one year. It's really interesting to me how the this hatred towards people who run corporations, the CEOs of corporations, board members, all these people, there's widespread hatred towards those people on all sides of the political spectrum. But that hatred is not very principled because if you're principled that makes you hate these people, if your principle is that they make too much money, they make so many times more than their employees, they're hoarding wealth, they, you know, they're working for way too much, whatever. Whatever you feel about Walmart CEO, right? Doug McMillan. But then the hatred, the, there's no principle behind it because it doesn't spread to entertainers. These people who make hundreds of millions of dollars per year. You know, in 2017, George Clooney made $260 million in 2017. You see like a bunch of liberal leftists posting about how evil George Clooney is. There he was making several million dollars for a movie while his lighting guy was making 17 bucks an hour. You know how many more times an hour these people make than the lower level people at their shows? It's a ridiculous amount more. So I was doing some some numbers on this. I posted something about it last week, actually. But in a, just saying a given year, Doug McMillan, the CEO of Walmart, he makes about $22 million. So when you look at what his employees make, and I just went off of his lowest paid employee at $11 an hour. Most of the time they'll do like the median employee wage or whatever. I did the lowest. So he makes about $1,000 or a 1,000 times more an hour than his lowest paid workers do. 1,000 times more. So you'll see a lot of people posting about this online about how just evil this is and terrible it is and capitalism is awful and we need socialism. But then no one posts about Taylor Swift who is making 5,000 times more an hour than her lowest paid people. Actually, I didn't even do that with her lowest paid people. I did that with her average paid people. I did that based off of a pretty high salary for a stage tech because I didn't want to get accused of fudging the numbers. I actually skewed them in the direction that would go against what I was trying to say, and they're still astronomical. Doug McMillan makes a thousand times more than his lowest paid employee per hour, and Taylor Swift makes 5,000 times more than her mid-level paid employee per hour. 
And I don't see very many memes talking about how evil Taylor Swift is. And I'm not saying that she's evil, by the way. I think you should be able to make as much money as you can. Obviously, there wouldn't be people at her tour, which, which grossed $300 million last year, if she wasn't there. But the same argument that these people make where, well, the CEO wouldn't be making any money if it weren't for the workers there doing all the work. Why doesn't that principle transfer over with them to people like Taylor Swift? You think Taylor Swift was going to gross $300 million on a concert tour if there weren't people setting up all the lights in the stage and driving her around and cleaning up the venues and taking in the tickets, all that stuff? You think she was going to make that much money on the tour? No. But this, this ideology doesn't transfer over to people in the entertainment industry. I can't figure out why. And so maybe you guys can help me out with that. You can send me an email, nate at goodmorningliberty.us, if you've got some kind of reason for why that doesn't transfer over. I can't figure it out. So this is from Fox. It says, U.S. lawmakers are asking the Director of National Intelligence to investigate TikTok as a potential risk to national security. And you guys use TikTok? I'm, I'm showing my age here a little bit, I guess, but I can't, I don't know how to use it. I just don't know how. I would, This is funny. I didn't even find this article until this morning. But last night, I downloaded TikTok for the second time. First time I downloaded it, looked at it, couldn't figure out what the heck it was or what to do. So I eventually took it off my phone like a month later. And last night, I was like, man, you know, if we really want to increase our social media presence, if we want, to, if we really want to reach everyone... Kids these days, they're using TikTok, and we want to get to to everyone, so we need to get on all the social media platforms that they're using. So I got on TikTok and made an account last night for Good Morning Liberty. You guys can go follow it. We have no videos and no followers, because <laughs> I just made it last night. Maybe I'll try to post something. I, I don't know. I have to figure out how to use it first. I honestly do not get it at all. So anyway... The director of national intelligence is going to be investigating TikTok as a potential risk to national security. So they've they've blown up. Like in the last year, I mean, there's like a billion people that use TikTok now. They're like running up to Facebook numbers now, just in what seems like way less time than it took Facebook. But they're running up to a billion people now using it. It was downloaded, it's been downloaded over 110 million times in the U.S. Two of those are mine. It's been downloaded over 110 million times in the U.S. Now, there's 330 million people total in the U.S. A lot of those are kids. So, I mean, you could say half of the population that aren't children, you know, maybe half of them, a little less, have TikTok. I can't even figure out how to use it. I don't know. But anyway, the thing with them is that they're a Beijing based tech company, and they are required to adhere to Chinese law. So the, the problem here, the danger they're seeing, is that it can be compelled to cooperate with the, any intelligence work that's controlled by the Chinese government. We don't know exactly what that might be. I don't know what they're going to do. One of the main things that they're worried about is, you know, privacy. They're worried about your data, all of that. They're worried about them censoring posts already. They're talking about how TikTok is censoring posts about Hong Kong and all that. 
I don't know. It's their platform, so I don't really care what they do with it. But one thing, you know, that I, I wouldn't really like is if they are using my data, if they're listening in on everything on my phone, if they're watching every other thing I do on my phone and compiling some kind of huge database about every single thing that I do, and that's going to be used by the Chinese government for, I don't know what, maybe Chinese hackers and stuff, they're going to start taking your info. The problem is, you've already got like 100 apps on your phone that do that. Now, they're not controlled by China. They're controlled by the U.S. government, eventually, because they would all have to comply eventually to whatever the laws are. So, you know, Facebook and all them, they're already gathering all the data that you're, that you're using on your phone. They've got your location data. You've let them have access to your photos. They've got access to your camera, your microphone, everything. And a lot of people are okay with this. I mean, obviously, I'm okay with it. I've got Facebook and a whole bunch of other apps on my phone. I've let it happen. What's weird to me is uh, people really have some strange differences in how they view the government and how they view people in the private sector because, you know, we we have all these issues with Facebook taking your data and doing all this. You have the whole Cambridge Analytica scandal where millions of people's data was was turned over. And then how does this not turn into a conversation about the fact that the U.S. government can get access to all of your data and does at all times, all the time? I'd probably just trigger whatever it was in their system right now. They're listening to us right now, guys. Everyone say hi to the U.S. government. Now they're listening to you guys, too. They can do anything they want when it comes to tapping into your cell phone, your computer, anything. Edward Snowden broke that. A long time ago. And of course, he's still in hiding in Russia. I feel very, very terrible for that guy. I really wish he could just come back home. He said he will come back home if he can face a fair trial, but unfortunately, he'd be charged under the Espionage Act, which means he will not get a fair trial. So he says when they agree to give him a fair trial, he will turn himself in. I think we should at least give him a fair trial, if not completely exonerate him of everything. But anyway, we have these weird views of like, you know, we all know the government can use everything on our phone at all times. They, they just can. And then we like freak out when 30 million people's data is turned over somewhere from Facebook. You know, like, oh my God, corporations are terrible. We have to censor against them. And I'm not saying that's not a terrible thing. Like they didn't, you know, we didn't agree to do that. And they did turn the information over accidentally. So I'm not saying that that's not a bad thing. I'm just saying that it's really, really hypocritical of everyone to freak out about Facebook when they're not even the worst person that's turning over your data all the time. And the same thing with, uh, I was talking to my wife last night and we don't have a security system in our house. So I'm not telling you guys where I live. We don't have a security system in our house. We've been talking about getting one for like four years. No, just haven't done it. I haven't pulled the trigger on which one to get. And we I was talking about the Simply Safe one because it's wireless and it's pretty cheap. And she said, Well, I heard, you know, I read online and they're basically recording you all the time and they can look into your camera or whatever at any time. Simply Safe can. And I was like, Okay, well, you know, I get that. I don't like that. But then I, then I told her, I said, You're, I mean, the government can do that to your phone at any time. You're literally carrying around the microphone and the camera for people to look in on you at, at all times. 
That was one of the crazy things about 1984 by George Orwell was they had this idea that there were going to be cameras placed in everyone's house and on every street corner and then every everywhere you went there would be cameras watching you, Big Brother watching you. He never imagined that the government wouldn't have to do that by force. So we all opted into carrying around our own cameras and microphones all the time. It's much more efficient than George Orwell ever imagined. So anyway, if you guys have TikTok, just something to think about. You know, they're a Chinese-owned company. I don't know how you feel about China. You know, probably not that great. Probably not that great. So by having TikTok, you are buying into a corporation that is based in Beijing, China, and they will have to adhere to anything that their communist government makes them do. So just keep that in mind. This is from the Washington Times. It says, University dumps professor who found polar bears thriving despite climate change. So this story, I actually saw this last week, and uh, we've met some people from the Washington Times, and and they've been really nice. We met some of them at a, we met one of the guys at uh, Young Americans for Liberty a couple weeks ago. They've been really cool. So I've been watching their website, and they post a lot of really good stories. And this is one of them I saw. So this was uh, Susan Crockford. She was a uh, professor. She was a professor at the University of Victoria. And they've decided to reject her renewal application without any kind of explanation. Now, she's saying that it's because she's uh, continuously posted things talking about how the polar bear population is not decreasing, is not being decimated by climate change or by the ice caps melting or anything like that. So she's going against the, that mainstream ideology. I don't know if you guys saw that uh, video from, I believe it was National Geographic several years ago with the supposedly starving polar bear that couldn't find any food or anything because all the ice caps were melting and they were trapped and all that. We've all kind of got this image of a polar bear on a little lone little, you know, block of ice floating through the water and it's trapped, right? You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, it turns out that National Geographic got a lot of pushback, even from the scientific community on that, because... There was no way of knowing why that polar bear was starving. They, they don't know that. They didn't follow this, the polar bear for its whole life. It could have had some kind of disease. It could have been crazy old and about to die. But they just took a picture of a scrawny, weak polar, ga- polar bear and said that this is due to climate change. Well, so this professor, Susan Crockford, she's been posting about how the polar bear population is actually not decreasing like they said it was going to. So... She said, uh, Christine Hunter and colleagues proclaimed in 2007 that the reduced summer sea ice, if present for eight out of 10 years, would generate a massive drop in polar bear numbers. So they said that it would leave fewer than 10,000 animals worldwide, which would be a, from that time, they were projecting a 67% decline in the polar bear population. This is in 2007. So since then, and this is from a a study that Susan Crawford put out, well, they're now estimating that the population of polar bears, uh, which was at 24,500 at that time, has now gone up to about 28,500. It's gone up by about 3,000 or maybe 12%. So the population has actually increased, despite whatever they think is going on with climate change 
when they projected that 67% of the polar bear population was going to be gone. It's actually been still moving upwards. And this just, I wanted to remind you guys of this point. I'm not saying that climate change doesn't exist. I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to use clean energy, that we shouldn't continue moving towards clean energy like we have been doing. But I don't like all of the massive, alarmist, worst-case scenario doomsday predictions because none of them have came true. And not only have none of them came true, they've been insanely wrong. Like the opposite things have happened. It's not like... It's not like she projected 67% of the polar bear population would be gone, and instead it's only uh, 55% of the polar bear population's gone. You know, that could be understandable. Heck, even if it moved down some, you could still say, okay, well, it, it did decrease, just not by as much. It actually increased. So not only did it not decrease by 67%, it increased by 12%. And so that's the problem with all of these doomsday predictions that they throw out. And they're crying wolf way too often. If they want people to really take them seriously, they need to stop publicizing all of these worst-case scenario predictions because they've fallen flat every single time. They, I mean, they just never come true. We're not even supposed to have snow anymore this year, if you were listening to people. Heck, people in the 70s were saying that we were going to go into an ice age and that we needed to cover the polar ice caps with black soot so we could try to melt some of the polar ice caps in the 70s. They were worried about there being way too much ice. And the scientists in Newsweek were saying, or maybe it was time, were saying that we needed to come up with a massive plan to melt the polar ice caps to save the world. Hey, maybe they did. Maybe they did that. All right, so last thing, and we'll we'll just kind of... We'll kind of make this quick. But I, I posted an article about this on our website, goodmorningliberty.us. So the stu- study from NBER, that's the National Bureau of Economic Research, came out. And what they did was they were studying the population in California, specifically by their income demographics. So in 2012, California passed a, a tax hike, a state tax, state personal tax hike. It went up by about 3% for the richest people. It, was, uh, it ended up going to 10.3% if you made over 250000 11.3% for income over 300000 and 12.3% for income over 500000 So they passed this tax hike, and the National Bureau of Economic Research has been doing a study. They studied from 2012 to 2018 to try and figure out what effect this had on the population in California. What they were trying to see was if this tax hike caused people to leave, if it caused wealthy people to leave. This is one of the things that we talk about a lot. We talk about it a lot on here. We posted that you know, pretty famous video of Neil Cavuto asking that college student several years ago, what are you going to do if the 1% leave? And she didn't, she didn't have an answer for that. I don't think anyone had ever asked, asked her that. She, she didn't even accept that that was a possibility. But the problem is, as you keep raising your taxes, people with a lot of money, they will choose to leave. They will go, especially if you can just go to Nevada, right next to California, and not pay any taxes. 
or pay tremendously lower taxes, well, why not just do that? Why not come here to Tennessee where we don't have a state income tax or go to Florida like a lot of people have? So they wanted the study and see if people left. And what they found was that, yes, people did leave. Before the tax increase happened, the wealthy were already leaving California at a rate of about 1.5% per year were leaving. Now, that might not seem like much, but play that out over a long period of time. That could get really, really bad. You play that out over a long period of time, and you'll see they were, they're going to lose a lot of their money because the rich 1% in California pay 78% of California's state income tax. So eventually, if uh, most of those people leave, they're going to be very screwed as far as that goes. So the rich were already leaving at a rate of 1.5% beforehand. The year following, the year immediately following the tax hike, that rate went from 1.5% to 2.12%. Now, I know that that doesn't seem like a big deal. That's still a low amount of people, right? It's only 2.12%. The problem is if you do the math on that, that's 0.62% that that rate went up. That's actually a 41% increase in the amount of people that were leaving, that were in the wealthy. That's one way you can use statistics, by the way, to make a, a point that you want to make. The rate of the wealthy leaving California increased by 41% just one year after their tax hike. Just one year. And they were immediately taking in their, their, um, uh, their, their average taxable income for the top bracket decreased by $500,000 per person the average taxable income. And a lot of the really wealthy people left, or people were finding other ways to shelter their money. So that's not good. Now they were projecting, they were projecting that they were going to make this massive windfall, all, these extra ta- all this extra tax money they were going to take in from taxing the rich. They were saying, well, we're going to get an extra six, seven billion dollars off of these people every single year by increasing their taxes. Well, that number has actually been about half as much. They've decreased that now by 45% for what they're making extra off of them right now. Already, just in a few years. And that's a problem that we see. We see these projections all the time. They say, well, this is how much extra money we're going to make if we raise the taxes this much. And the problem is those projections only hold true if no one leaves. If no one shifts the way that they're making money. If, if it, all this always stays true, that this is how much money people are making. That's the only way that those projections ever hold up, that you hear. You hear it from Elizabeth Warren. You hear it from Bernie Sanders. They're all projections on if all of these people stay here and everything stays the same. That's what the projection is built off of. So now already in just a few years after they've implemented this tax increase, they've had to decrease that projected income by 45% yearly, just already. And then keep in mind that over 2% of the wealthy people are leaving every single year. So which direction do you think that projected increase is going to go? So it's, you know, kind of ending the show like I've started it. All of these things sound great. You can make a great emotional case for all of this. Medicare for all, especially for people who can't afford it. You shouldn't just die because you can't pay for a hospital. I, 
Obviously, I don't want anyone to die because they can't pay for anything. That doesn't change whether or not the money exists to pay for those things. It just means it's a sad story and it's true. But it doesn't mean that the money exists to pay for it. Those are two very different things. You know, I don't want the environment to fall apart. I don't want our planet to overheat and a bunch of people die. I don't want any of that to happen. I don't, I don't want these terrible predictions that they're making to come true. It doesn't change the fact that we don't have the $9 trillion per year extra that AOC's plan would cost to implement the Green New Deal. It doesn't change the fact that it would be terrible if all this stuff happened, but it doesn't mean that we have the money to do it. Those are two separate things. So when you're talking to people online, and they're talking about all these terrible things and people who can't afford stuff or the evil whatever, there's responses to all of these things that can just kind of kill the argument. Number one, okay, the evil people, what are you going to do? Are you going to raise their taxes? They'll just leave. They'll find ways to shelter the income. What if they end up going out of business and all these people lose those jobs that they're providing? Is that really what you want, just so there wouldn't be any rich people? And Margaret Thatcher once famously said that the ideology of the liberals, and I'll say socialists now, is that they would, they would rather the poor were poorer, provided that the rich were less rich. And George Orwell said the same thing. And he was even a socialist, but he said the problem with the socialists was that it wasn't their ideology wasn't out of love for the poor so much as it was out of hatred for the rich. And so when you're talking to these people, once you find out that it's not really because they're trying to help poor people, it's because they hate rich people. We've got to go at this from the standpoint that we want to help poor people. We want to help the people at the bottom of the ladder Climb up the ladder. We don't want to make it harder on them. The government, while you might like the person that you're going to vote for, you don't know who's going to be in control of it. And it's a really dangerous idea to give all of that control over every facet of our economy to the government when you don't even know who's going to be in control of the government four years from now, ten years from now, definitely. A year from now, you don't know who it's going to be. So it's a really dangerous idea, if you really do care about the poor, to give all of that power to some unknown people in the government who you don't even know who they're going to be, and just decide that those people are going to do a better job than the people in the private sector. I said this last week, I think, but I was listening to Milton Friedman, and they were debating public versus private, and he said what you're really arguing about is uh, whether or not you want the consumers to be in control of their services or if you want politicians to be in control of the services. Which one do you want? Those are really your two options. So that's why we push for moving to a free market as much as we can. Not a crony market, not a crony capitalist market like we have right now where the government has control over private industry And so the private industry gains control over the government so they can control their outcomes. That's crony capitalism. That's not free market capitalism. We keep pushing towards free market capitalism because that's the only ideology that that can actually help people. So we have to attack all of these discussions that we have with people 
from that standpoint. Don't be the person that's standing there, you know, libertarians are viewed as selfish and they just want to care about themselves and all that. And that's not really going to, you know, no one really likes selfish people. Whether or not it's even, whether or not that's unfair or just a, a terrible ideology to have, you know, to hate people who are selfish. And I'm not saying that. But it's just true that, like, generally people just don't like selfish people. And libertarians and very strong liberty-minded people are just viewed as selfish. They don't want to help anyone. We've got to flip that. We've got to switch that because we are trying to help people. We are trying to save people's lives. And we are trying to make sure that everyone can get some kind of health care. That is what we're trying to do. That's why we're libertarians. That's why we're liberty-minded people. Maybe that's why you're a conservative. And you just haven't made the full switch to libertarian yet. You'll get there. Don't worry. Nobody's perfect. So just remember that when you're talking to people. Take the, take the moral high ground in your argument. Don't let them be the person that's trying to help people. In the argument, they're the person who's causing the situations for the poor to get worse. That's what's actually happening during the argument. You're actually the one who's trying to help poor people when you guys are talking. So don't let them have that position in the argument. You take the moral high ground in the argument. And you say, yeah, I understand all that stuff. That's why I don't want the government to be in control of it, because all those things are a problem. That is why I like the free market, because those things are a problem. We need to solve them. That's why I like the free market and why I like capitalism. I do care about poor people. That's why I don't want the government to be in charge of all of this, because the government's terrible and inefficient at everything except for killing people. And even that, I think private contractors probably do it cheaper. So anyway, when you're talking to people, take that moral high ground. Go to our merch store. You know, we talked about Ed Snowden today. I made a shirt last night. says, Free Ed Snowden. Uh, We've got shirts, coffee mugs, um, let's see, hoodies, all that say Free Snowden on them. If you guys want to pick up one of those, that'd be good. You can walk around and show people that there's a guy stuck in Russia because he told the truth about our government breaking the law and breaking the Constitution, and that we're going to charge him with treason when he gets here because he told the truth about something that the government did that was wrong, and that that is not okay. And so if you guys want to grab a shirt that says Free Snowden, you can go to our Merch store, you can go to gml, gmlconnect.com, and you can use the promo code podcast when you check out on there. They'll take 20% off the price of whatever it is that you're getting. So go follow us on Instagram at Good Morning Liberty. Follow us on Twitter at Good AM Liberty. Follow us on Facebook. Look us up, Good Morning Liberty. Go to goodmorningliberty.us if you guys want to read some great articles on politics and economics. If you guys do all of those things... Charlie and I will be right back here tomorrow. Yes, he will be here tomorrow, and that's great. Won't have to be doing this solo anymore. He'll be here tomorrow helping us out. So come back in tomorrow. You guys do all that stuff. Have a good day and a good morning, Liberty.